Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Light of the East is also funded by a grant from the Koch Foundation. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host. Here we are, certainly in the Midwest, and also in western part of the United States, in the dog days of summer. Lots of heat, and for us, lots of humidity as well. Sometimes an occasional storm, sometimes a tornado, but right in the middle of it. And as we kind of endure some of the extreme heat, I often remind myself of the approaching winter, which will be here before you know it. And I think of that season with all of its frigid temperatures and snow and so on. I just relish even the hot dog days of summer. But what also makes the even the dog days of summer enjoyable for me is the church, the liturgical calendar of the church. During the summertime, we're in what's called in the Latin Rite Church, ordinary time. This is after Pentecost. In other words, after all the highest holy days, Christmas, Good Friday, Pascha, Easter, Pentecost, Ascension. Now we're in the so-called ordinary days. In the Eastern churches, we number them after the Sundays of Pentecost or the weeks after Pentecost. Either way, it's the so-called ordinary time. It's a pretty long stretch. It starts to change as we get towards Christmas when we'll start the birth cycle of the liturgical year. And what happens during this so-called ordinary time are some things that are actually extraordinary. In fact, the ordinary, as we always say here on this program, is actually extraordinary. In other words, everything reveals God. Everything participates in God. And the extraordinary means that which is of the next life and how we experience that next life in this life through our contemplation of nature, God's word of creation, especially then through the liturgy, the sacraments of the church, because they have that mystical dimension, meaning they, they connect the next extraordinary life with this one and therefore make this one in its own way extraordinary. That was kind of a brain teaser, but... Basically, I'm talking about the mystical, the incarnation. And what happens during ordinary time in the summer in the liturgical calendar of the Byzantine church is that we have certain what I'll call extraordinary moments, and we have two of them this week. One is today, where we focus on the six ecumenical councils that help to establish our faith, our dogma, our doctrine, in opposition to misunderstandings or heresies. 
Then we have this week the Feast of St. Elijah the Prophet. And what we do then is we bless our vehicles. Kids bring their bikes and their skateboards and so on, anything that moves, any kind of a vehicle. The adults, of course, bring their cars. They always tell me to bless it twice if the car is dirty. I don't know if it takes care of the dirt or not, but I do it twice if they want it. And what we do is we bring our cars to church, of course, and we go out in the parking lot after liturgy on the Feast of St. Elijah the Prophet, and I bless the cars, go up and down the parking lot. One priest I know, he was an elderly priest. He didn't want to walk through the whole parking lot, so he did a drive-through blessing. He stood at the door under the carport in the church, and the cars drove by. And as they drove by, like a drive-through, he blessed each one. But I still can walk around, so I'll do it that way. Maybe there'll come a time when I'll have to do the drive-through thing. But either way, the vehicles, whatever they are, get blessed. And we do this because, as we read in the book of Kings in the Bible, Elijah went to heaven in a fiery chariot, in a vehicle, in this mystical way. And so, to connect our liturgy and our experience with that biblical event, the reality of it, we bless our vehicles, which, as the prayers say, are as fast as the wind. Invented by man, but as fast as the wind. And indeed they are. And by doing this, what we do is we we connect this life, the ordinary life, with the extraordinary. And we also do that during the summer months with a couple other feast days coming up, two in August. The Feast of the Transfiguration of our Lord on Mount Tabor, in which we bless fruit, symbolic of the first harvest. But also, Fruit is symbolic of the transfiguration. I mean, look at a piece of fruit. I really enjoy fruit, especially the summertime. Plums are my favorite. Things start from a little tiny seed. And from that seed comes this beautiful succulent fruit, which produces again its own seed. And that has a process of transformation to it, of transfiguring into its beautiful, tasty self. And that's what happened with Christ on Mount Tabor. He transfigured into the glory of his human nature and also his divine nature. And that's what knocked the apostles right off their feet. Then the other feast day is the Feast of the Assumption, or the Dormition, as we call it in the Eastern churches. And there we bless herbs and flowers. So we go out to our prairie and we cut some prairie flowers and herbs and grasses, and we bring them into the church and we bless them. And what this does, and of course we take those blessed items home, and what this does is it connects us in a very kinesthetic, a tangible way with that feast day, with that event, makes it timeless. And also with the scriptures. So we have this continuity between what we experience on this earth, something very tangible and everydayish, you know, like fruit and flowers. It's a very, very everydayish thing. You know, we have flowers, we pass flowers, we see fruit all the time. But we connect those simple things with their mystical reality. In other words, how they reveal and participate in God. And then we connect the liturgy, the earthly items, such as the fruit or flowers, and the scripture and the kingdom of God in heaven. It all gets connected through the liturgy of the church, and that's what makes these times exciting. I look forward to these things. And some of them have a fasting period, a penitential period leading up to them. Some it's a very brief one. But it makes you mindful. Even during the summer months, we're very distracted. We're in every which way trying to enjoy life, which is okay. But it connects us, keeps us grounded. That's the genius, the beauty of the liturgical life of the church. It interrupts your day. It interrupts your normal rhythm as well it should, because God historically interrupted his own order of creation. He allowed miraculous births to happen by some of the people of the Old Testament, even the Virgin Mary, her mother, Anne. And God intervened 
miraculously in various ways. And so for God to intervene, to interrupt what we call the norm or the ordinary is characteristic of God. And so what we do is we celebrate that. We enter into that. The way that God will slice into our reality, bend his own rules, bring about life, fertility from a woman, a couple like Abraham and Sarah, who could not bear children. The parents of St. John the Baptist, Zechariah and Elizabeth, even Joseph and the Virgin Mary, the greatest example of all, a virgin birth before, during, and after the birth of Christ. These are interruptions in God's order. They don't negate it. They just interrupt it and take it to their ultimate mystical level. So the interruptions, the holy inconveniences of these ordinary days, these summer months, are something I urge you to participate in. It just, it just makes the summer beautiful because it brings everything together. In a sense, we bring the experience of the summer months, you know, the, the fruits, the flowers that are growing, the cars we're all driving around in fast and so on, enjoying the breeze and the wind especially if you have convertibles. It brings all that together into liturgy, to our faith. So it's, it's fun. Church is a lot of fun. It's creative. It's mystical. It's meaningful. And when we interrupt our secular humdrum day and enter into the mystery of these holy days, it really does give us joy. It, it gives us that beautiful break. And that's what it's intended to do. So, Take advantage of it. It's not that you're too busy to come to church during these holy days during the summer. It's that your summer will be enhanced by your participation in these days. Speaking of these great extraordinary events and days, today, as I mentioned, is the Sunday of the first six ecumenical councils, which happen in the eastern lung of the church primarily. And these councils were convened to hash out, to settle to clarify what the church actually teaches. And primarily it was about what the church teaches about the Holy Trinity. And in particular, God, who is three persons, Jesus Christ, and the Blessed Mother, and God's relationship to the Blessed Mother in the form of the second person of Jesus Christ. In other words, how is it that an infinite, pure spirit, incomprehensible, uncontainable God becomes containable, enfleshed? How can he be both at the same time? Wouldn't one kind of subsume the other? Or would one be more real? The other one was just symbolic or kind of fake? These are some of the heresies that circulated in the first several centuries of the church. And so the fathers of the church, getting very concerned about people having the wrong idea, just as our fathers of the church are today, bishops, the pope, and so on, priests, I know I am as a pastor, very concerned about people having the wrong idea about the faith, will clarify it in various ways. And one of those ways throughout history were the ecumenical councils. And when we get back, we're going to talk more about these ecumenical councils, why there are seven of them, but we only celebrate six on this Sunday, and what happened to the seventh and why. So stay with us here on these extraordinary, ordinary days of the dog days of summer. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, 
we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. are listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R life at earthlink.net. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Noyo, your host, during these wonderful dog days of summer, these ordinary days in the church, days after Pentecost, punctuated with extraordinary moments, talking about the, the beautiful feast days of summer. They all have something tangible with them, flowers and fruit and so on, oil, of course, the Eucharist, blessing of cars. It's, it's lots of fun. And it really engages the children, too. It really does, because they bring little skateboards, as I mentioned, their scooters and so on, their bikes. But also, it engages them because children are very kinesthetic. They're very tactile. They love to touch things, kiss icons, light candles, hold things, bring something at church, have it blessed, take it home. That's why the liturgy is what it is. With all of the icons or statues in the West, the candles, the lights, the music, it, it takes everything. You know, lights, camera, action sort of like opera. you got to have everything. The highest form of music, high literature, high drama, magnificent costumes, ritual, sometimes even dance, kind of a ritual. And also the singing, of course, the meaning of it all. It's very much like opera. It sort of maybe debases liturgy a little bit, but I try to make an analogy. The point being that in liturgy in the church, we use everything. 
because we try to engage our entire being. And that's what makes things like opera or other types of concerts and culture very engaging for us because, in fact, it does engage our senses. The more we participate in something, the more we are immersed in it, the more we enjoy it, the more we profit from it. And that's why so much of Eastern spirituality is about immersion, even the way we baptize. We immerse the candidate for baptism, even if they're a baby, entirely in the water. Oh, you'll drown the baby. Yeah, that's the point. Well, not physical drowning, but drowning of the old self, spiritually speaking, and a rising of the new self. So that baby goes in three times, that water. Water cascades over the whole baby. And same thing with the adult. As I mentioned earlier, we also celebrate today the extraordinary event of the extraordinary councils of the church, the first six ecumenical councils. And again, we see a relevancy to celebrating this because this is what we're going through right now in the church. The bishops have been busy trying to draft a letter, a statement, a guide, a catechesis, whatever you want to call it, for Eucharist. And when we should approach it, when we should not, and how to be consistent with what the Eucharist is, how to be consistent in our behavior and our philosophies, our attitudes, especially if they are public. And that, of course, was triggered or inspired in part, not all the, not all the way, but in part by President Biden and also people like Nancy Pelosi. In other words, high government officials who claim to be Catholic but hold political beliefs that go against the Catholic faith yet insist on still receiving communion and feel justified in that. Now, we're not judging them personally. We're simply saying that there's a disconnect here, and the bishops know that. So they're trying to get together a guide, something that would help the Catholic politicians, not only them, but anybody, but in particular them, help them to discern in the right way. So we have fathers of the church today. We have this coming together and clarifying things whenever something seems to be confused. Well, that's what happened in the early centuries of the church. Well, that clarification was pretty serious, probably because it was the first centuries of the church and they were still getting it all together understanding this Christian faith, especially this this God who was Trinity. So you didn't have that strong sense of a Trinitarian God until Christ, and Christ sends the Holy Spirit. So it was a new understanding of God. How can God be three persons, yet one God? How can one of those persons have two natures? How can they have two natures? Are they just, are they both together, both and, or are they either or? And it's easy to not understand, therefore to spin an understanding that is not quite accurate. And this is what would happen with people that we now call heretics. And they were never a layperson. They're always a monk or a deacon or a priest or a bishop. That's right. Isn't it amazing? Laity never started heresies in the church. Remember Bishop Fulton J. Sheen, who's up for canonization, it is why he used to say that it is the laity that will save the church whenever it goes awry and goes off, as it is in many ways today. That's no secret. The laity never perpetuated, never originated a heresy. They can get caught up in it, as many do today, but they never originated one. It was always by people religious life. The six ecumenical councils were these, and they were great battles between the true faith and the heretics. The first one, the most famous one perhaps, is the Council of Nicaea. Now, you probably recognize that, the Council of Nicaea, the Nicaean-Constantinopolitan Creed, kind of a tongue twister. It's two names, two great cities in the Eastern churches. The two creeds came together into the creed that we know in the, in the Mass. There's also the Apostles' Creed, but then there's the creed that got developed a little bit more because of the later councils. 
So the first ecumenical council in Nicaea was in 325, in which 318 fathers were present. And it's commemorated on May 29th in the Eastern churches and on the seventh Sunday after Pascha or Easter. And this council refuted the Arian heresy, which was against God, the Son. In other words, it said that the second person of the Trinity that took on flesh could not possibly have been totally God. It was a very, very special person, very special, but not God. Well, this was a heresy. Because if you don't get these things right, you really don't have salvation. When you work it through and understand it enough, you really don't have salvation if you get these teachings wrong into heresies. The second council in Constantinople was in 381. It was attended by 150 fathers. It is commemorated on May 22nd. This council refuted the heresy of Macedonius against God, the Holy Spirit. Well, the previous heresy said that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, was not equal to the Father was not divine, was not God as well. This one is saying, well, the the same thing about the Holy Spirit, the Macedonian heresy. So that had to be corrected because it's three persons and one God. Now, we have a hard time understanding that, but a good analogy comes from something that we say in our prayers about the Trinity. We call the Trinity the God of triple brightness, triple brightness. One way you can try to describe the Trinity is to take three candles Light the one in the center. Okay, that's one one fire, right? One source of light. Then put the other two candles into that flame. What happens? A flame gets onto those two candles too. Is it a different flame or the same flame? Well, it's separate different flames, yet at the same time, the same flame. So then put the candles, all three back together again. So they all look like they're in with the middle candle. And what do you see? One flame. So whose flame is it? Is it all of theirs, some of theirs, two of theirs, one of theirs? It is three distinct flames, persons, yet one God. A great, great mystery. Okay, the third council was in Ephesus in 431 with 200 fathers present. It is commemorated on on September 9th. This council refuted the Nestorian heresy, which basically said, once again, it always involves this whole thing of Christ, who he really is, his two natures. This heresy claimed that the Virgin Mary really was not the mother of God, that the person in the virgin's womb was not God. Whereas now the council said, no, the person who was in the womb of the virgin, who is Jesus Christ, man and God, meaning not that God had a mother as we think of it, but she was a mother in the sense that she carried God in her body. Can you imagine Because Jesus Christ was man and God. Again, another mystery, we just live it. He was God and man, man and God. And yet, he was in the womb of a virgin, which makes her more spacious in the heavens. So what you say about Christ, you also say about the Virgin Mary and vice versa. Fifth council was in Constantinople in 553. This council refuted the heresy of Origen. He's the one that basically said that everybody can eventually get to heaven. The sixth council was in Constantinople in 691. They refuted the monothelite heresy. Now, that's similar to the other heresy, the monophysite heresy. The monothelite said that Christ only had one will, the divine will. He couldn't have had two human wills. Now, the seventh ecumenical council stands by itself because it is about icons. You might wonder, well, gee, is that more important than the Trinity? Well, no, but it is pivotal to our belief in the Trinity because the fact that we can make images affirms, ratifies the reality of the Incarnation. And that's why that council was set apart from all the rest. Because without that Incarnation, nothing else happens. Nothing else is worth anything. 
want to thank you for being with me during these dog day extraordinary days of summer. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. from around the world as it happens. Religious liberty, immigration, prayer, plus daily reports from the White House, Capitol Hill, and Rome. Get the Catholic News perspective on the things that impact your life on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!